Hello, you're listening to episode one of It's Just The One Podcast, actually, with me, Jake. And me, Adam. In this first episode, we're going to be talking about the 2019 film, 1917. And we'll also be starting an ongoing segment in which we look at our favourite films from the past decade. Yep, and on this one, we will be looking at our favourite films from 2010. No luck catching them swans, then... It's just the one swan, actually. Right, so we're going to start with 1917, mm. which um, we've both seen. We're both really looking forward to it. We got that one out of the way quick. So that's um, directed by Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins running the show. The G. With the, with the cinemas. The main man. Exactly. So, um, Little Rog. <laughs> big Rog, mate. Big Rog. So we'll, uh, we'll start with just a quick sort of overview of the film um, if you haven't seen it and you don't know how the film uh, plays out then that's on your head really because it's fucking boss and you should have seen it but um, it follows two guys um, two uh, Lance Corporals yeah. Blake Schofield um, so set in the western front and they basically delivering a message mm-hmm. um, to stop a massacre the British think the Germans have retreated they haven't they're waiting for them and these two fellas have to basically go on the journey just to get a message across. It is utterly brutal. Yeah, it is. Film. It is not one for the faint-hearted. It's so real. Yeah, it's very like uh, you say, like it's visceral. It doesn't really hold back on the details. Like not at all. It lets you know that this is war. It's not really um, stylized. If you think the first. 20 minutes of saving Private Ryan over <laughs> how long is this film? An hour about, and a half? Two about, hours? About two hours, I think, yeah. Then that's that's this film. It's yeah. just two It's just two hours of saving Private Ryan. It pe- peaks start. and troughs. Peaks and it, troughs. It is. It's incredible. It is. Um, so I went into it not knowing it was all one take. Yeah. You sort of stayed so away about, from the trailers. So about... Yeah. 30 minutes 30 minutes into it I was wondering where the cut was yeah <laughs> I was like oh my god there's no cut and then there was all sorts of things going on in my head so the, so the opening of this film starts in the trenches and as I just said before it's all one take that trench must have been massive yeah well, to dig this is this is the thing because I've done a bit of digging after the film the amount of planning film. for this film was insane Obviously, um, there's a lot of there is like a lot of like seamless cuts in there, you know, like blended into that you w- you wouldn't notice unless you're looking for them essentially. But I think the trench they built was about 800 yards long, so about about um, roughly half a mile. But obviously, as they're walking through, it's 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 much bigger, it's much longer. But um, it it is ridiculous because it actually starts outside the trench, doesn't it? The the two main characters are sort of sleeping by a tree, yeah. and they get woken up and they get um, led down into the trench, walking through past hundreds and hundreds of soldiers until they meet um, their general, and he gives them the the, uh, the message, the message big, to deliver. Big Colin, but um, obviously we have to start with the cinematography of the film because it is yes unreal. So, Roger Deakins, obviously famed for Blade Runner 2049. Um, he did 
the last two Bond films as well, or did he just do I think Skyfall? Just Skyfall, I think. He did Skyfall. Yeah. Um, no Country for Old Men as well. And, yeah, No Country for Old Men as well. Is he only won one Oscar? Um, did he only just win it for Blade Runner? I think he just had one, but he got he got the he's Oscar been nominated a lot of times yeah but he's only just got one Oscar which is Shocking. outrageous um yeah so if you're a film geek like me and Adam you'll know Roger Deakins's um style it's very gritty it's very realistic um I don't think any other cinematographer in the business can capture black and darkness mm-hmm. like he has and that transition from like the blacks on such bold and solid colours particularly in Blade Runner um, but he does it again here so there is one scene um, and this is going to be a bit of a spoiler review because you've had two months to go and see yeah, it yeah spoilers um, So there is a scene where he is in a town one of the main yeah, characters on the town on yeah, his own it's the, best, it's the best scene in the film I um, think the lighting in that scene, the way it's shot, is outrageous. So, uh, just to set the scene, he's running through, he's on his own, he's in German territory. There's flares going off all around him from the Germans to try and light up, to try and find him. That is the only source of lighting in the shot, is the flares going up. When the flares go up, it is just the boldest brightest colours, there's so much detail, it's so yeah. rich and then it will drop down again when the flares mm-hmm. go and it goes to pitch black but as I was saying before Roger Deakins, he can catch a darkness and blackness so crisp and so fine yeah. that the shot remains beautiful Yeah, um, carries on doesn't it? it it ends well, it all builds up to this one scene where he walks towards this big house. It's on fire. It is one of the best looking shots I've ever seen. Um, it's all on fire. The lights, it's beautiful. And then you see a shadowy figure in the distance. Starts running towards him. He thinks it's an ally. It's not. It's a German. And then we're back into the absolute realism and brutality of war. But no, the, the way this film particularly set up and shot I would say it is probably Roger Deakins' best best work I'd say so to date 100% especially going back to a couple of things you said so you talked about like the realism of his his style this mm. this entire film is well I'd say about 95% of the film is shot outside on location there's no sets or, well a couple of the inside places are set, I think, but everything outside is outside. So they had to go for this consistent light for for every shot to to make it match. There's no artificial lighting in the outside scenes, but he makes it look so cinematic, despite the fact that it's literally a camera, and it's it's unbelievable. I don't know any other cinematographer who, I think. If Sam Mendes would have sat down any other cinematographer, they would have bawled their eyes out I could, and said, I could not do I, I could, could not do that. I could probably think of one and I can't even remember his name. I think it's like I think he's like nicknamed like Kievo or something, and he did the Revenant. Yes. And also, um, just this this last bit on lighting, um, that scene we talked about in the town, which I I think I said this it's my favourite scene in the film. I think it's the best oh, scene. It's outrageous. Well. Um, it's it's obviously he's he's absolutely like running for his life through this town, getting chased, getting shot at. But the flares are going up, so I don't 
can't get my head around the planning that must have gone into the scene because he's constantly on the move. The lights aren't even stationary. Obviously, they're flares. They're falling in and out of the sky. But he's he's lit constantly. And when the screen does go black, when the flares fall and he's like in the shadows, I've paid really close attention. The screen doesn't actually go fully black for one second. So there's no like secret cut in that scene as far as I'm, as far as I know. It's just one take. I don't know how many times he would have had to even attempt to do it. And it's it's moving lights, a moving subject. It's it's, you, it's it, crazy. You can't. I think once you. I think if anyone's ever studied film, you can obviously go and watch a film and think, "Oh, that's amazing! How did they do that?" But I think once you've studied film and you see how much goes into making just one millisecond of a shot, yeah, it is completely outrageous. This mm. film, like. I'm just thinking back to what you've just said. There is a bit where he is running through that city and all the flares are going off and stuff like that, but there's so much to it. So the flares have to go off at certain points. Mm-hmm. The actor has to remain in character. There's a bit where he drops down to the floor yeah, um, because something goes over his head or something like that. I can't remember specifically what it is, but he has to drop down at a certain point so that can go over his head because that will yeah. have to be timed. The cameraman has to be timed. There's a bit where... I think they change cameras. There's a bit where he's running through a, like a corridor yeah. and it goes off to the open space. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether they change cameras or the camera goes onto a motorbike or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But it goes from being a fast pace to he's then running with the camera that's probably on a motorbike. So he's trying to keep up with that while the flares are still going off. It is completely outrageous. Um how they even begin to contemplate filming this film. Exactly. You like you're gonna think like I how, wouldn't know where to start. Like how long rehearsals must have gone on for. And it's like in between waiting for the right lighting, the weather, everything. It's all gotta be so consistent. I think that's why it was good Sam Mendes done it. Yeah. Because obviously he has a background in theatre. Um so we would have probably rehearsed yeah. this film to Don't death. You? I think it does sort of feel like a theatre piece, though. It's just obviously the way it's set out, this one take. It does. And it's, well, it's not actually in real time for the most part. Is it? I think they get about, it's like eight or nine hours they have to deliver this message. In, or I, I could think be wrong. the majority of it is real time. Apart from? There is one cut in it, yeah. in the middle. And I think that cut represents a bit of downtime. Yeah. So it's about a, two hours, it's maybe. A, it's a couple of hours, isn't it? Yeah. Um. But after that cut, I think it goes back to real time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a really really clever thing that they do actually, and it follows that that scene in the town. So he's he's chatting to that. Is she French? She's a French woman. Oh, with the baby, of, sort of hiding away, and yeah, he he hears you hear like a, a bell tower in the background, and it goes six times. So it's you know it's six. I o'clock forgot in the about that. Yeah, that's uh, I remember. I just had to make a note for straight away so I didn't forget. So you know it's six o'clock in the morning. It's still dark. And then he gets chased and he ends up he ends up in the river, doesn't he? That's so clever. But I think he's in the river for maybe like three or four minutes. Obviously, yeah. there's, there's cuts, but like you know, no time's supposed to pass. But what they do really, I think it's just genius because you don't even notice it. when he gets in the river. It's, it's still pitch black. He's in it for about four minutes, and when he comes out, it's mm. daytime. Mm. They managed to do the full switch day to night. Obviously, it doesn't take three minutes. You know, mm. It takes like half an hour. And then he comes out the river and you haven't even clicked on that it's now the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it just 
the balls the balls it's, been rolling like you have, you don't even know it and then obviously that's like the final no, it is an achievement it is an achievement this film um i don't think we'll have anything like it really moving forward i think this is the pinnacle of what you can do with a one shot film um, yeah. i think about war films i wouldn't necessarily think you could do a one shot war film mm mm-hmm. Just because of all the editing and stuff that would probably have to go on to to represent um, speed and urgency and just panic, but it does that so well. I think because it does it so well because it sticks with the two main characters. It, yeah. it puts you in the middle of it all. You're not. There's no cutaway. There's no escapism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing. You're there, and I think that's what this film does well. I think it's the complete opposite of another war film that came out recently, which is Nolan's Dunkirk. Yeah. If you think about Dunkirk, that was very much different linear storylines going mm. on and then all leading up to one yeah. bit at the end and they all come together. Um, it is the complete opposite to that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, they're both utterly terrific films. Yeah. But I do think this film has a bit more weight behind it because it does go for the one shot mm-hmm. and the amount of commitment it would probably take from everyone working on the film to make sure every take is a viable one to yeah. the edit. I think we need to give a shout out to the two main actors, obviously. Definitely. Obviously one of them's in Game of Thrones. Yeah, it took me a while to realise. What's his name in Game of Thrones? Little Tommen. Little Tommen. Tommen uh, Lannister. Little Tommen, Joffrey's little bitch. <laughs> Um, but he's good in it. I didn't really like him on Game of Thrones. No, I didn't. Really I was kind of glad when he jumped. Yeah, he didn't really do much, did he? You think no. he said about like ten no, words? He should have jumped earlier. But the other lad, yeah, he, what's his name? George McKay. Mm-hmm. He's outrageous. He's boss. I, I, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. I feel like I probably have. I feel like he's been on. in TV shows. Yeah, he's been in a couple of indie films and stuff, like BBC One ones yeah. and like ITV. Sunday night nine o'clock ones. <laughs> it's scattered with other f- actors as so like as I was saying before, Colin um Firth is the general in it. He's in it for like two minutes. Couple of minutes, yeah. Um the guy who played uh, Fingy and Sherlock. Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott. Yeah, he's actually got a great part. He has got but a but really again, good part. What, like two or three minutes? Exactly. Um it just keeps the plot yeah. going and then obviously at the end uh, it's Big Ben. It's Big Ben. Yeah. Um, Doctor Strange himself. Yeah. Um, he's at the end, and he's a bit of a prick. Yeah. Um, and then, but, the, but there's all sorts. There's all there's there's um Daniel Mays that yeah. people might know from Line of Duty. There's there's it's filled with great there's another British guy as well. actors. Um, and I, I couldn't take him seriously, even though he, he was great. But it's just before we get introduced to uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, like he's like the the big boss of the whole. Like thing, it's, it's fucking it's Pete Ga- from Gavin yes. Stacey, yes. And I couldn't take him seriously. And he has actually a really like nice role. <laughs> he does. He's like sort of like really nice to. Um, it's Pete George McKay's character after he goes on this fucking horrendous journey, and he's kind of there for him, which is nice. But also, it's Pete. I was expecting Dawn to come out and just start Pete's doing his head in or something. Trying but... the oven gloves on. <laughs> if you don't get there in time. We will lose 1,600 men. Your brother among them. I do want to talk about Sam Mendes. 
Yeah, let's talk about Sam Mendes. He, Sam Mendes is one of those directors that, for me, goes under the radar. Um, is he is he say Sam Mendes now? Did he get knighted? Uh, um, he got something. Let's have a quick check. Yeah, Sam Mendes is one of the the, the great directors. I think British directors. He is say Sam. He is a say. Yes. yes, well done. Go ahead, Sam. Um, he is one of the best directors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you made you made a really interesting point before we started recording that um, he's one of those sort of great British directors that doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. Absolutely. If you think of great British directors currently, um, directors that it's like the Spielberg effect where you don't need big actors. You just need, if you think about a film poster, you think it's the film's title and then above the film's title, it's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. There's no actors names or anything. And that would sell a film. Mm -hmm. Christopher Nolan could probably do that. Yeah. Um, Obviously he's got a new film this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, the general public know enough about Christopher Nolan to, yeah, to be guaranteed so of so what they're walking not, into. Yeah. Um, I think Danny Boyle's another one. Yeah, he's got good films. He's got bad films. Mm-hmm. He's not got the consistency of Nolan and stuff. But he is one of those that people know, people trust. Sam Mendes' track record, the films he's made, would suggest that he deserves the same recognition as. Certainly, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, because I'm looking at it now. So, if you think his first film, his first feature film, American Beauty, which is, it's you know everyone knows it. It's regarded as one film of the best is films American of all time. Beauty. Yeah, outrageous. Mm-hmm. This one I didn't know. Jarhead. I didn't know he directed Jarhead I until didn't. I was watching Jarhead uh, on Netflix. Just after Christmas, in the middle of Christmas, I'm watching 1917. I watched Jarhead on Netflix, and it come up Sam Mendes. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It yeah. blew my mind. Jarhead is such a good film. I've only actually seen it um, once, so yeah. Revolutionary Road. That one. Leonardo DiCaprio. I haven't actually seen. Is that the one with Kate Winslet as well? Like the yeah. sort of. Um, and then we go into again. Bond. So mm. we go into Skyfall, which is. I think undoubtedly one of the best bonds. I think it is the best bond mm-hmm. because it strips Bond back. It's the best. It's not. It's the best of all the new bonds. Like it is. Casino Royale comes 100%. close, but that's it. It doesn't take Bond for granted. It doesn't take the franchise for granted. It sort of strips it back and mm-hmm. makes it. It doesn't make it a franchise film. It just makes it a film, mm-hmm. which I think sort of needed to be done with the yeah. Bond films. I think. I think also as well, like if you're a fan of Bond. And you see Skyfall, like like you say, it's a brilliant standalone mm. film. I know it's like the underlying plot from the other Daniel Craig films, but also all the nods back to like the whole history of Bond. My nan went to see Skyfall. Yeah, and there's just so that, many nods. Like it's it's fantastic. But um, yeah, we'll carry on because this we'll do a Bond thing another time. Um, Spectra, shite. Sorry. I've seen it once. Yeah, it's shite. I didn't like it when I went to see it. But I need to give it another chance because Dave Batista's in it, <laughs> and we all love Dave Batista. Uh, I, I actually forgot Dave Batista was in it until I thought there was like a little bit of it on over Christmas. I was uh, like, "Does that Dave Batista and Bond?" It should have been so good though because I had Christopher yeah, Waltz sh- in it. It should have, it should have been. But anyway, it was we'll, all just we'll ridic- do the Bond special. Just ridiculous, yeah. Um, when No Time to Die is eventually released, yeah. Um, and then 
he sort of goes quiet after that, doesn't he? Couple and years, then yeah. comes out with with obviously nineteen seventeen. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, so American Beauty, Roads Perdition, Jarhead, Revolutionary Roads, Skyfall. I know we've just said we don't know like Spectre, but it's another Bond film. He does have the sort of filmography of someone who needs to be respected, of someone who should be treasured, like a Nolan. 100%. I mean, it's less than 10 films, but, you know, maybe disregarding Spectre, you can look at those films and think, like, fucking hell, it's pretty impressive. Like, I'd I'd say he's he stayed pretty consistent from the beginning. You know, American Beauty is is what it is, but, Mm. like, his first to last film... There's, there's a massive level of consistency. So he's basically had Roger Deakins as a cinematographer for nearly every film. By his side, yeah. Which is probably why they all look fantastic. Going back to Sam, he is one of those directors that needs to be in the same category as Nolan and all the great British directors um, because he is one. Agreed. And I think 1917 proves it. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to rate it? I certainly do. Uh, I don't even know why, but when I first when I first come to rate it, I've I put a nine down, and then you I've, text me on it was a nine. Yeah, when you come out, it was a nine. I don't know how long it took me to to uh, change my mind, but um, yeah, I can't really pick anything out of the film that um, makes it bad. There's there's nothing there. I think the more the more you talk about it, you just go on forever, but. Uh, yeah, it's a solid ten, but I just I just want to quickly throw in there before you give your um, rating. It's not going to be one of these things where like, oh, it's a great film and everyone loves it. It's like I agree with most critics that it's a fantastic film, but it's not the case of on this podcast that we're going to be giving every film a ten. It's mm. um, I've only ever given five films a ten. I actually gave one film that had a ten previously a nine to put this in my top five. Um, and I, th- I think I think that was Pulp Fiction actually, but um, yeah, it's a ten. But uh, by no means is that a throwaway rating. Yeah, basically what I'm saying, um, not every film is going to get a ten on this podcast, um, especially not from me because there are going to be films that we want to talk about coming up. Yeah, and destroy. There is yeah a particular franchise <laughs> that is close to my heart that was absolutely butchered by a mouse with big ears. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, not every film's going to be a 10. Um, but this film, particularly, it's it's a 10 for me as well. It's, if I can't, I, I came out of it thinking it was a 10. I went to, I went to sleep that night and it was a 10 and I woke up the next morning. It was still, <laughs> it was still sat with me and it was still a 10. I couldn't believe what I was seeing on screen. Um, that someone was bold enough and brave enough to commit something like that to screen, yeah. Um, and it deserves all the plaudits mm-hmm. and all the awards that it no doubt really will get. Um, but yeah, 1917, 10 out of 10. You have a brother in the second battalion, yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. So this next segment is going to be an ongoing feature moving forward. Um, so the con- the the concept is very simple, is that 
we pick a year from the past decade. Yep. Starting with 2010, because mm-hmm. that's the first one. Um, and we basically pick the best film from that year. Yeah, so what we'll do is um, we'll basically each come up with a list. Probably going to be pretty similar sometimes. Um, but we'll we'll you know debate the films between us and mm. give a few honourable mentions. And then ultimately pick our favourite film from yeah. that year. And this will, like Jake said, a recurring uh, segment. And by the end of it, we'll have 10 films. And then we'll have to pick one and come up with our best film of the decade. It's going to be fucking ridiculous. Yeah, uh, do you want to rock, paper, scissors for starting? Or? <laughs> um, I think maybe let's just sort of throw a few in there. And if we've got similar ones, then... Go on, then. Um, so the first one that actually came to my mind was Inception. I just, Inception's I just know in mine. When anyone ever says that year, it just comes up straight away. So, yeah. I remember Inception. I didn't actually go to the pictures to watch Inception. I don't think I did. I think um, I remember loads of people saying it was really good mm-hmm. and then getting it for Christmas. And I remember um, it must have been like Boxing Day at like nine o'clock. <laughs> and I was like getting into bed. I was like, bro, I'll put Inception on. And I remember sitting there for two and a half hours while my mind exploded. <laughs> yeah, Inception's on mine. Inception is. It's it's there. It's I think it's the first film where Nolan sort of announced himself. Now I know he did Dark Knight before that. Yeah. Um, but the Dark Knight sort of had the franchise behind it to mm. to rely on. Yeah. This was, and I know it had Leonardo DiCaprio, but this was very much Nolan's baby. It was his idea. It was his concept, and it is absolutely amazing film. Yeah. I watched it couple of months ago and mm-hmm. it still holds up yeah. um the cgi still holds up yeah any film that can absolutely make my brain splatter all over the wall i'm all for and yeah. this this did it um it's an amazing film it is probably in my top five i don't know if it's my number one mm-hmm. but no it's certainly up there i think in terms of original storytelling that's probably why I regard this so highly. As far as I know, I can't think of any films that sort of explore dreams in that depth, mm. especially come up with that concept. I could be wrong. There's probably a film out there that is similar, but I don't know it. So um, that's why I like Inception so much. It's so original. Mm. It's one of those thrillers where you you can't switch off. You just you are fully engrossed, and I just find it. I don't think you ever won the dream again after that. <laughs> I mean, you have many sleepless nights. I just think it's it's just thoroughly entertaining, and that's it down is. to a lot of things. It's um, the capability of the cast, which What's is the bit in the the bit in the corridor still blows my like they they actually did a big massive. It's practical effects, isn't it? It's a it's a rotating it's set. Bonkers! Which, it's just <laughs> awesome, isn't it? It's a very good looking cast as well. Yeah, Leo, Tom. I forget Tommy H, isn't it? Mm, he pops little up. Tommy H. Little little George as well. Uh, Killian Murphy, Cillian Murphy, however you say his name. Mr. Kane. <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on. Speaking of films that um, make your mind explode, I know one that's definitely on your list is also on mine. Yeah. Take it away. Yeah, so I, I literally only watched this film again um, this week. So it was added to Netflix recently, if you, so you can all go and watch it if you haven't seen it before. Are we, are we going to keep dropping clues now before um, we say the name? So the film is Shutter Island. <laughs> um, yeah. So 
it was added over the weekend to Netflix. I went downstairs, eight o'clock, I went to me mum, Shutter Island's on Netflix, that's my yeah. night ordered. And she said, well, what's that film? So I put Shutter Island on for me mum and I went to bed and watched Shutter Island in my room. <laughs> so we all watched Shutter Island. Um, together but separately. Together but separately, yeah. Um, Shutter Island is, for those who don't know, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, your boy Bruce Banner is mm-hmm. in it. Mark Ruffalo. Big Mark, Big Mark Little Rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's Marty. It's Little Marty. Yep. Um, sort of a film that's not... Very personal film, I think, for Marty. Very, yeah. um, it's not as usual. Uh, it's not a gangster film. Yeah. It's very psychological. Mm-hmm. Very... Um, it's a thriller. Um, it's got elements of horror to it as well. Um, for those who don't know, Leonardo DiCaprio plays a detective um, sent to um, an island which houses um, mentally unstable patients mm-hmm. during 1930, 1940. 30s or 40s. Around the war, maybe just after the war. Um, and he gets sent to the island and not everything is as it seems and not everyone is being honest with him yeah are we going to keep are we going to keep these um spoiler free no i mean they are from 2010 so so the plot twist and this is a spoiler so by the way if you want to skip forward and you want to watch it yourself the plot twist in shutter island is probably up there as one of the best plot twists ever committed to film it is so bold and it it flips the it flips the table around completely because it you don't start doubting the car you start doubting the character you start doubting leonardo dicaprio but you also start doubting yourself you I also was, i was gonna say do you not find you it, also like, start doubting yourself what you've watched is there anything that you've missed and picked up yeah. on it has got so many multiple rewatches in it do you we can go back and rewatch it do you think um because i think i've seen it about four times now do you actually can you figure out for yourself how it ends do you know what's actually going on can you make a decision as to whether he's he's right or not i think towards i think so my interpretation of the last scene in that film is that he has an understanding of his illness Mm -hmm. and he comes to terms with who he is um and that he makes the decision that he doesn't want to be that person anymore, yeah. so he chooses to be Love on Ice, basically. Yeah. Um, that is my takeaway from the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is the lovely, lovely line towards the end of the film where Leonardo DiCaprio's character turns to um, Mark Ruffalo's and says, which would be worse, to live as a monster or to die as a good man? It sums that film up. Yeah, There are fantastic performances littered throughout it, um, so it is a, an all-star cast for me. Leonardo's in it, Mark Ruffalo's in it, um, Ben Kingsley. Kingsley's in it, Big Ben's in it. Um, another Big Ben. Another Big Ben. Uh, Michelle, what's her name, Williams, I is it? I think so, Heath yeah. Ledger's late wife. Um, <laughs> is it late wife? Uh, she's alive. She's alive. <laughs> Heath Ledger's widow. He, he, widow. He there we yeah. go. She's in it. Um, obviously directed Martin. It is an utterly fantastic film. Um, and that would probably be up there in my top five. Yeah. I do I do really uh, enjoy it. Uh, especially if you re- rewatch it with someone who hasn't seen it. Because you, you sort of get to enjoy it knowing 
what's to come. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I like the film, but um, it's not as high on the list as Inception for me. But that's just that's just me. I think I think we've got um, like maybe opposing opinions on this. Yeah, I find Inception what, what slightly more enjoyable. Inception more enjoyable than than Shutter, Shutter Island. Island. Even though I love the horror aspects because it's yeah. I, I like being I think scared shitless and that, and that does that at points. But in an, in an odd way, I think Inception is more for the mass audiences. I think Shutter Island is one of those where um, it harks back to some of Scorsese's earlier work in the seventies. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's a very personal film. Um, yeah, I can understand why you'd like Inception over it, but for me. I think it's got the bigger, bigger plot twist. It's got the more, yep. um, more. I don't want to say the more meatier story because Inception's is pretty heavy. mind-boggling. But no, no, you're saying it's it's a lot more. Um, well, like you said, it's a it's got a lot story. more rewatching it for me. It's, it's about it's about the characters, the relationship between the characters. Um, you sort of getting invested in what they believe in. Um, um whereas Inception, it's just like I said, mm. it's it's just an entertaining film. Yeah. On on the surface, there is another one mm. that is not in my top five, but yeah. is an honourable mention for me because it is a fantastic film. Yeah, but I do think it's up there for you. Yeah, do you want to take um, it away? I might not be thinking of the same film. I can't believe you've crossed it out. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yeah, Edgar Wright. So it was in my top five. I can't believe you've taken it out. But I've took it out. From That's the fine. Film. But it is, it is a, fine. But but we'll we'll discuss. Uh, yeah, Scott Pilgrim, just it's just fucking genius. Edgar Wright it is. is. I just want to marry him. Really, <laughs> I think he's, think he's an absolute genius. Sort of like as, a, as like a young teenager, like become obsessed with him. And mm. I think me and you are part of that generation that grew up on showing the Dead and Hot. Yeah, Fuzz. but like you know, probably don't think either of us would actually even teenagers when Shaun of the no. Dead came out. So then you get into that sort of like adolescent age where you absolutely. Buzz off films and then stuff like. Are you Shaun of the Dead drops. or Hoffers? It's just, just sort of varies, really. I think. Shaun of the Dead or Hoffers? Hoffers. I'm Hoffers. Yeah, Hoffers. Yeah. I remember going the pictures to see It's Hoffers. funnier. I think it's funnier. It is. It's more. I'm I'm not a horror fan. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm more an action fan. Yeah. Um, So I do lean more towards Hoffers. But, but now I feel, I feel sort of bad for. For picking Hot Fuzz over Shaun of the Dead, it does it really varies between the two. I suppose it just depends what mood I'm in. But yeah, both films genius. I watched. I, I, it does look like all I do is watch films, but I did rewatch Hot Fuzz <laughs> a couple of days ago. Surprisingly, not on ITV. Um, <laughs> and it, it does just hold up. The jokes are just so funny. Um, and it, he he plays extremely well with uh, like genre expectations. It does, it does, and it's per- it's just, he's just perfect. But the jokes and Hoffers they do sort of go hand in hand with Scott Pilgrim. There are yeah. a lot of good quotes in Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. a lot of funny jokes. The fight scenes as well are fantastic. The way they've shot, yeah. the way um, they're put together. For me, I took Scott Pilgrim out because the narrative is a bit glitchy for me. Correct me if I'm wrong. You. I think it's two two books into one film. I am not 100%. I think it's two books into one film. Okay. 
we're going to pretend it's two bucks into one film. Right. For, for and I think argument. it loses a li- <laughs> it loses a little bit in the narrative. Um, I think the beginning it does well to set up the universe at the beginning, and then I think the first few fights go fine, and then I think it rushes towards its finish. Mm-hmm. I think it's conscious of its runtime, and the narrative sort of gets lost a little bit. Right. But having said that, it was literally two minutes ago in my top five. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a fantastic film. It's it's funny. Um, it's the the cast is outrageous, mm-hmm. especially. So it was made in twenty ten. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch that film now, it's a who's who of people who have done so well over the past decade, um, which is really weird to all be in the one film at the start. But no, it is a great film. Do you want to defend it? I mean, I sort of agree with aspects of what you're saying about the the plot and sort of the speed maybe past like the midpoint um but i don't know i I feel the films from 2010 i'm very much picking them on sort of maybe like favoritism or Mm. like based on entertainment it's not really the way to go but i wasn't overly impressed with the list we sort of looked at yeah um compared to other years which are going to be insane but um, no, it's again, it's up there for the reason of entertainment. I think it's a, a sort of like a fantastical film in the sense that like you have those sort of shots where like it'll hone in on Michael Sarah and mm. like the lights will like flash up. It's a very good go, looking like, film. Drop into like sort it of is. like slow mo, and all the way they sort of like utilize the sound of the instruments in the film. Because I'm really like, it's fantastic in that film. The yeah, sound editing going on in that film is and that's because amazing. of Big Boy Edgar, Little Boy Edgar, Big Boy Mate. <laughs> um, but no, it is the sound editing in that film is outrageous. Um, the bit where the fighting and it does all the um, kapow and it does yeah, the yeah. ko. It's cool. Um, it's cool. That's what it's, it's, it's cool. The, the, it's what I like cool about film. Edgar Wright and sound and stuff like that is you don't even notice it. Yeah. Until it's like another rewatch and there's there's little bits where they'll two characters will be having a conversation. Um that character will come up with an idea or something and it's just a little sound of like an yeah. arcade machine going yeah. Yeah, ding ding yeah. like that. And that's and it's so clever that's how what he's, do it. That's and it's what he's, so subtle. That's what he's so good at. It is. He he sort of brings another another medium into film. It's not all just about the you know the look of a film which mm. he also does insanely well it's um it's the full package do you want to go through a couple of honorable mentions so obviously Scott um, Pilgrim is one of my honorable mentions yeah that's fine I mean it, it's I wouldn't say I've got really a top five I've got five here that I'm you know I'd debate for the best but um yeah so I wouldn't I wouldn't try and argue Scott Pilgrim is my favorite film of uh 2010 but Hmm. Um, in terms of honourable mentions that I, I enjoyed as you know the social networks there obviously I'm not a massive fan of the film but social networks are my honourable mentions yeah I'm not, I'm not going to try and argue a case for it to be honest I'm not because obviously it's not in my top five mm-hmm. I do think that story and the way it's told it's I think the script is fantastic because what's, what's the guy called who did it Something. David Fincher no, the the wrote it. Oh, who wrote it? Something Sorkin. What's his name? Oh, right, boss screenplays. I know who you're on about. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Wrote yeah, it. Um, yeah, the screenwriter Aaron Sorkin. 
yeah, it's a it's a boss screenplay. It's a fantastic script for that sort of topic. It needs to be because I don't think everyone else would be bored out of their brains if it wasn't a good script. Yeah, I think Jesse Eisenberg is great in it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of he's sort of born to play that role. I mm. do think it's a really good film. It's not in my top five, but if it's on, I wouldn't turn it off. It's a good film. Yeah, a couple of others for me. Yeah. Um, I actually forgot about this film until I seen it on the list. Uh, 127 Hours yeah, with James boss. Franco and Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to see that film and being absolutely disgusted. Yeah. Um, but it is a really, really, really good film. One of Danny Boyle's best. Another one is Tron Legacy. That one sort of isn't from the year. I don't think I've seen Tron Legacy until mid two thousand. 14, 15, I think. But it's if you watch Tron Legacy, it still holds up pretty well. It's a it's a strong film. It's a good film. And I think visually it's up there. It's completely outrageous visually um, what they were able to do with that film. Plus, it's a Daft Punk hmm. soundtrack, which is fantastic. Always good. And lastly, for me, um, Easy A with mm. Emma Stone. I am a fan of Czech flicks. Mean Girls is fantastic. No one can... <laughs> disagree with me um but easy a is a really funny film really good film um sort of emma stone's breakthrough role yeah um that and Zombieland. i think she sort of did around yeah the same i think time. that was only a couple of months before yeah have you got any honorable mentions um i have yeah um and going off the the strange sort of process for picking films on this list toy story 3 as an honorable mention yeah but that's not in your top five uh, it's sort of like hovering, hovering around Discuss. the line. It's just a full-on nostalgia trip. It is. I think the first Toy Story came out like a week before I was born. <laughs> so I was like literally brought up on Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2. Same. So for that to come out all that time later, like 12 years later or something ridiculous like that, yeah, it's it was just awesome. And it was horrifically emotional. Oh. Like that like, scene where they all were yeah. in like the furnace and they all just sort yeah. of accept that they're going to die. That, that was... That, that ruined yeah, me. That's basically watching your childhood burn. Yeah. And then... Um, uh, which no no one should I'd, see. I'd, I'd argue Toy Story 3 more, but I recently watched Toy Story 4 and that was fucking horrific. Mm. I like that. Dis- well, I, I say mm. horrific, I mean, I loved it, but it, it destroyed me. It wasn't strong. Oh, I loved it. But it just destroyed me. It Toy Story 4? Yeah. Do you like Toy Story 4? I did, yeah. Forky. Oh. Forky's the one. Oh. It was scary. And then we had dolls It was stuff. bad. No, it was good. It but, wasn't uh, great. We'll move on. No, we won't. Yeah, nah, <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, another, uh, this is another one hovering on the line of like an honourable mention. One of my favourite films of the year, Four Lions. Yes. It's just hilarious. And it's brave. It's very brave. It's not in my top five, but yes. Very brave. Yes. It's um, so, I mean, so good. I think the time it was made is the only time they'd probably get away with making a film like that. I think the if Four Lines didn't exist and someone maybe did that now, I think, mm, yeah, I don't it think... Wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't go down. It now. wouldn't go down too well. No. It didn't especially go down too well in the first place. Mm. But yeah, it's very brave. It's hilarious. It's, it's a taboo subject. I mean, you can't make jokes about that kind of stuff, but they did and they pulled it off it's brilliant i mean if you if you're the type of person to be offended yeah don't watch it but i i feel like you don't really have the right to be offended by anything it's no. ultimately it's a joke and it's 
It's. Um, I feel like if you are easily offended, watch it. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Just put it on. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen Four Lines, a British film about um, a group of terrorists, basically. <laughs> um, there's a scene where they accidentally blow up a sheep. But they are like the shittest terrorists. Yeah, yeah, they're awful. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's hilarious. It is. It's so good. Um, it's not in my top five, but I wish it That's fine. sort of could be, because it is a really it, good that's film. That's what I mean. It's one, it hovers around. Yeah. Toy Story 3 is in my top five. It is? It is. Okay, that's fine. Toy Story 3, I remember going as a family to see Toy Story 3, um, like I did for Toy Story 2. Yeah. And um, I remember absolutely bawling my eyes out, watching my childhood burn <laughs> almost in front of me. I think the story-wise, I think it was very... De- I think Toy Story 3 is one of the riskiest films I've ever seen because Toy Story 1 and 2 are so good. Yeah. And it sort of made sense that they'd do a free because obviously the trilogy round it off sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was still so brave to do it because what if it messed up? Like exactly. there was always the there was always the thing that the third film in a franchise isn't always the best film yeah. in a franchise. Um, in this case, for me, it is the best film in the franchise number three because it's all that nostalgia of the first mm-hmm. two flipped on its head. So it's. Yeah. Yes, it's a film for kids, but it's but also it's, a film for me and you. It's a the, film for... Yeah, they pick, um, they pick up on the original audience. Like It's a film you know, for me and you. It's a film for my mum and dad because mm-hmm. they grew up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'd grow up watching Toy Story and they'd watch Toy Story with me. Exactly. So it's a massive nostalgia trip. And I think when you're doing a nostalgia film, the plot needs to be its own thing, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. You, you, can't, can't, you can't rely on it. We'll get into this on a different episode, but... There is a certain franchise set in space, <laughs> and we'll just get into it. The Force Awakens yeah. is a massive nostalgia trip. Mm-hmm. However, the plot to Force Awakens is exactly the same <laughs> as New Hope. Yeah, it's the to same. To a T. It is the same. To film. a T. <laughs> it is basically the same film with better special effects. Yeah. So and it's quite funny as well. I think the Force Awakens is the best of so, yeah, yeah, the yeah, new trilogy, yeah, yeah. and it's literally not even a. Let's not get film. into this now. Yeah, let's get, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going red. <laughs> but going back to Toy Story Three, it's the nostalgia, but mm. then the plot is completely fresh and original. And exactly, new, and exactly. the villain is so good. <laughs> Lots of the bear mate is a bad bad man. I know um, we're not holding back on language on this podcast, but I'm not going to say the words I'd use to describe him. <laughs> it's too much <laughs> considering he's a teddy bear but yeah maybe not he's a bad he's a bad one like do you want to write that word down yeah you know what it is it's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah oh that word okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a bad man <laughs> um yeah toy story 3 is in my top five i took scott pilgrim out for this film mm-hmm. um so this film is another mind trippy one mm-hmm which you'll probably, as we do more episodes, come to realise that I am sort of in to my mind trippy films. Yeah. To be fair, I did sort of debate putting this film on, but mm. I, I, I think from the fact I've only seen it once, I think. Mm. I we watched it in uni, didn't we? Well, I've seen it twice then. Oh, right, okay. You know, I don't feel like I know the film well enough to be able to... So the film is Black Swan. Um, obviously, Natalie Portman won the Oscar for it. Rightly so. She is absolutely terrific in this film. It's dark. It's sinister. Mm. It's twisted. What I like about Darren 
Aronofsky's work, especially in this type of work. So he's done Black Swan, The Wrestler, and I think he did The Fighter as well. Is each one of those films concentrates on a different art, not an art form, but a no, body, a body, I'll, a body, I'll, a body of a body of work where you'd consider it an art form. I'll, no, I'll, I'll agree with you. The first um, time I'd say it's yeah, you're right. Yeah. So obviously, Black Swan concentrates on ballet. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in ballet. I would never pay to go and watch a ballet performance in my life. However, mm-hmm. having said that, it's a f- utterly fantastic film. It's Mila Kunis, isn't it? She's she's fantastic you can't trust her then you can't trust Natalie Portman it goes back and forth between the two it's it's got horror elements to it um it is a fantastic film Mila Kunis's performance in that is especially interesting because I mean probably most people up until that point just knew her as Meg from Family Guy (laughs) and then she gets cast in this this really creepy um like almost like dirty film and then yeah she's fantastic yeah it's it black swan for me harks back to films of the 80s Mm. um where like like you say these dark like um almost dirty sort of films films that you films that you feel guilty for watching films that like oh should i be watching this sort of thing you get that vibe from black swan which it's sort of, considering it's ballet, it's sort of rare, especially when comparing them to the other 80s films. Um, but no, Black Swan for me is in my top five. Fair Easily. Enough. Yeah, um, that's fine. I'm glad, I'm glad that's fine with you, Adam. <laughs> no, Thank no, it's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, have you got one? Um, I've got a couple more Go on. written down. I put Let Me In down, but then I realised it's only because I like the original so much, but that's 2008. So I don't think I can really Let count the right that. one in. Yeah, the Swedish vampire Terrific film, film, which is its boss. But the the remake has got that girl in what she called Chloe Grace um, Moretz. Yeah, she's good in it. The film's good. Girl. But it, yeah, which is kick ass. Is that 2010 mm-hmm. as well? That was yes. That's boss, but yeah, another it's time. No, no. Um, yeah, I wrote that me in, and then I put a question mark next to it. It's a remake, so I, I don't feel like mm. I can I can put it in there, and then. Yeah, I wrote down Iron Man 2 for some reason. No, <laughs> just, we'll ignore that. We, we will, ignore we will that. get on to Marvel films. Yeah, Iron um, Man 2 and 3. Yeah, no, we'll get on to Marvel films because we're both massive Marvel nerds yep. with them films. Mm-hmm. But Iron Man 2 is not good. No, Mickey Rourke. Mickey, the fuck, Mickey, the fuck was going Mickey on? the big man Rourke. Um, His yeah. parrot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless you... I got, want my bird. <laughs> Mate, what is that film? <laughs> I want my butt. <laughs> Don't even. I'm not even gonna like the third one oh. as well. The third one's atrocious. <laughs> right. Um. Any more? Any more to add? Oh, you've got one more written. I down have there, got actually. one more written down. You have. Yeah, you're all out of them, aren't you? I am. Um, I've also got Harry Potter. Definitely, that's part one. But yeah, it's just Harry Potter. I that's do just have one more childhood thing. Um, um. I'm before you say it. I didn't put it down the same reason as I didn't count Let Me In and that's because it's a remake. Correct. And I, I think it's better than the original but Correct. it's a remake. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So the film is True Grit mm-hmm. by the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. It is a remake. However, for me it was the reintroduction of cowboy films. 
into this decade. So yeah. if you think about the cowboy films were massive back in the day, as big as Marvel films are today. Yeah. And then they just died. No one did a cowboy John film. Wayne a cowboy film. Old. Yeah. A cowboy <laughs> film was where actors went to die, basically. And then I think the Coen brothers did um, No Country for Old Men, which, which is, is basically a modern day cowboy film. Yeah. For the record, No Country for Old Men is probably in my top five greatest films. Yeah, it's right up there. It's right up there. So I was always interested that if the Coen brothers did go and do a cowboy film, what it would be, what it would look like. Um, and I think True Grit is, like you say, it surpasses the original. It's more gritty than the original. It's, I think the story is more fleshed out. Mm-hmm. The acting is much better, obviously. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, um, Jeff Bridges, yeah. Matt Damon. But it's such a fantastic film. It's It's got a lot of weight behind it and it's got a lot to it that you sort of have to sit down and watch and go through. Um, I I utterly adore that film. Um, yeah. I can see yeah. why it's in there. Yeah. So. We've got to pick one. We've got to pick one. I think narrowing it down, it's between Shutter Island and Inception. Yeah, same. I think it's easier for you because I feel like yours is going to be... I think I've... I think I made my decision before we started recording. I think you I did. Think, yeah. I'm going to go with Shutter Island for the reasons I've listed. Yeah. Um, I do love Inception. I think Inception is an utterly fantastic film. It's brave. It's bold. It's something that we'd never seen before. However, the plot twist in Shutter Island is... Yeah, it's up there, isn't it? It's up there. And, yeah, I just enjoy it better. Absolutely fair enough. I mean... If it wasn't for the things I was saying about Inception at the start and sort of how I've gone about picking this list, which I don't really understand myself, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. I am on too. Oh, mate, no, don't. That's not, it's not there. It's at the bottom. Of, it's not even, it's hardly on the page. I'm going um, to cross it out somewhere. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going for Inception purely based on the, just entertainment. Mm. I think you could watch Inception like every month you never and, and not get bored of it. Yeah, no, you're right. So that's 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 my reasoning. Entertainment value. So the real winner here is Leo. Yeah, congratulations, Big Leo. Leo. Yeah, big man Leo. I'd I'd say Inception would be probably a close second for me. Yeah, very I think close, very. I close think second. I'd probably have Shutter Island second, to be honest. So they are very inter- interchangeable in films. I think based yeah. on how recently I probably watched them. Yeah. Which shouldn't really be how we're reviewing them, but I did watch Shutter no, Island yeah, the other day. Got, you've got to be reviewed, especially those two. <laughs> but I think Shutter Island, Inception, solid choices. Um, and they take the first spot in our top ten films of the decade. Which would be worse? To live as a monster? Or to die as a good man? <laughs>